Welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got my spectacular co-host, Darcy, with me tonight. How you doing, Darcy? Spectacular? <laughs> Always. <laughs> um, no, actually, it's been a really crappy day, so... Aww. Um, I know, it's been, like, raining all day, and my poor dog, she needs to go out, but she just... She's over it. inside. <laughs> She's over it. Been over it. Sucks to be quarantine and have it be, like cold rainy icky weather well i guess i'd rather it be gross because then i don't want to go outside you know but yeah when i need to walk my dog it's you know not helpful makes it a little bit more challenging yeah so last week we kind of decided we were going to split this episode into two parts because there's just so much detail so much involved in these cases and Darcy did so much research that we feel like it's just better served if we split this into two episodes. So today we're going to come back and pick up that second part of the episode. Right, Dars? Yeah. So we're going to start today talking about the suspects in this case, because there are more than one. All right. I think you kind of alluded to that last week or yeah, the, the thought that there are multiple possibilities for this. And this is always very interesting, but yeah. In May of 1981, law enforcement, they're, they're noticing the pattern of the, the kids being dumped in the rivers. So they say, let's stake out the bridges over these rivers. Wow. Okay. So they have some, yeah, so they have some police recruits on the banks of the river, and then they have police on the actual bridges. Like all day long? No, just just at night. Okay. So they do this, at, they do this every night. The plan was... They didn't really have any better ideas was kind of the thinking of how to catch anybody. So they're like, let's watch the bridges for 30 days and right. let's see what happens. The last weekend, okay, that they're doing this, at 3 a.m. the night of May 22nd, a police recruit named Bob Campbell hears a really loud splash in the Chattahoochee River. Okay. And an officer on the bridge saw a white station wagon turn around and drive back across the bridge. So two police cars stop the car, and inside is 23-year-old Wayne Williams. So Wayne Williams is a local freelance photographer and a self-proclaimed music promoter. I say self-proclaimed because he didn't actually make any money at it. He just kind of told people that's what he did. Okay. And when he was pulled over, the officer said, do you know why I pulled you over? And apparently Williams responded, I guess it has something to do with those kids. Uh-huh. Right, so that's a red flag. Right. And when he was questioned about why in the world he's on a bridge at 3 a.m., he says he's driving around to find the apartment for this woman named Cheryl Johnson because he's going to meet up with her at like 7 or 8 a.m. for an audition. So he's doing it at 3 a.m. so he can meet up with uh-huh. her at 7. That makes yeah, because no he wants to find the, the address and be not prepared. be prepared for this meeting. That's mm-hmm. so stupid. But anyway. Sorry. I'm somebody who is like chronically early. Being on time gives me like an anxiety stomach ache. Yeah, but And this is really? crazy. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. So, you know, what sense does it make around make to go drive around at 3 a.m. to find an address for somebody who you're not meeting till 7 or 8? And... The other thing is, when police actually tried to find Cheryl Johnson at the address when Williams had, they can't find anyone af- of that name. Like, even after all these years, they can't find anybody named Cheryl Johnson that had anything to do with Wayne Williams. So he's shady AF. Yeah. So they search his car, and they find a pair of gloves and some nylon rope. Common things you have in your car. 
Mm-hmm. And although <laughs> this damn quarantine, I have zip ties, I have rope, <laughs> I have all kinds of things like that now. But anyway, sorry, I digress. But uh, well, you also just moved. Is right. the other thing, and we're doing a remodel so, now. So yeah, so when so he's interviewed for this docu series, and which is you could probably find an interview if you just type Wayne Williams because he is forever wanting to talk like he's he is incredibly narcissistic all he does is want to talk to people so he's interviewed for this documentary series and he claims that they actually found this rope on the ground and it wasn't in his car and that the police officer picks up the rope and holds it up and says this will make a nice ligature what you know common thing police say and that Williams responded, you remember where you got that? It was on the ground, not in the car. Okay, so he says that that's what he responded to the cop. So they search the car and they don't have a reason to hold him. So they're, you know, they're about to let him go. And in this documentary, Williams says that after they finish searching the car, he hears over the radio, someone say, zero in the river. And in the documentary, he follows that with him saying, well, whatever that means. So what? let's just let's just let's just think through the logic on this because this drives me nuts. He knows enough about law enforcement techniques to say you remember that you found that rope on the on the ground and not in my car. But then he's going to turn around and say whatever that means, zero in the river. I don't know what that means. Yes, you do. You just think that that makes you sound like you have no idea what's going on. You know? Wow. So, so two days after he stopped on the bridge, the bodies of Jimmy Payne and Nathaniel Carter are pulled from the Chattahoochee River, just over a mile down the river from where, from the bridge where he was stopped. All right. Okay. And remember how I said Nathaniel Cater was last seen holding hands with a man outside of a theater? That was Wayne Williams. What? So, like I said, yeah, so he's a music, he says he's a music producer, and he would actually pass out flyers in a bunch of these neighborhoods where these kids had gone missing. He was trying to recruit kids for, like, various music groups. He was basically trying to, like, put together another Jackson 5. Okay. And remember, Patrick Rogers was last seen heading out to meet somebody he called his manager. His younger brother, Isaac, who was seven at the time his brother was murdered, said that one day after Patrick had gone missing, he went to a, a neighbor woman's apartment and they were going to get candy. Apparently they hung out with this woman a good bit and she gave him candy and stuff. And that when he was leaving her apartment building, a man started coming up the stairs toward him like he was going to grab him. And so he was afraid, so he runs back to the woman's apartment. Okay. And after Wayne Williams is arrested, Isaac, he's in this documentary series. There's the only reason I'm in this. So after Wayne Williams is arrested, Isaac says that he knew... He was like, that's the man who tried to abduct me. Okay. And in Wayne Williams' job as a photographer, he often responded to crime scenes because he would, like, take pictures for the local newspapers and things like that. So he had a police scanner in his car, which is not abnormal for somebody who's, like, chasing crime stories, right? Okay. But what is weird is that he put blue lights on his car, and he had previously been arrested for impersonating a police officer. Mm-hmm. And he took a polygraph, and apparently he failed the questions involving the death of, the, of Nathaniel Cater. So, 
He is questioned and released and immediately goes home and holds a press conference in his house. So he invites all of these media people there, reporters and everything, and he hands out his resume. What? Yeah. This just is getting more and more bizarre. The narcissism is bananas. So he denies any involvement and he actually blames the kids and their parents for the kids getting killed, saying what? that these are like latchkey kids. Their parents aren't responsible. They're not they're not raising their kids right. Their kids are just allowed to run in the street, this, that, and the other. So basically, he's been questioned by the police for these killings, but he's not keeping his head down at all during this time. So he's talking to the press on his front steps. He's waving at the police officers that are like following him. He's loving the attention. He's like a celebrity being chased by TMZ, basically. Like he's loving it. He would go out on his front porch and like demand that everybody get off his property, but then would sit there on his front porch while they ask him questions and just be like, oh, no comment. What? But like, go inside your house if you don't want them there. Like he just, he was egging it on, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, so the FBI wanted to arrest him at that point, but the prosecutor in the city of Atlanta said that he didn't feel that he had enough evidence to charge Wayne Williams. And... Finally, on June 21st, Williams was indicted and he was arrested for the murders of Jimmy Ray Payne and Nathaniel Cater. Now, those are two adults okay. that, were, that were found in the river. All right. So let's talk about how they link all of these cases. So at the trial, most of the evidence is going to hinge on the fibers that are found on the bodies. And while Wayne Williams was only charged with the murders of the two adult men... According to the police and the FBI, fiber and hair evidence linked him to 10 additional victims. Wow. So what they did is they said, we're only charging you with these two, but we're going to present these 10 other murders at trial to present a pattern of evidence, okay. even though you're not convicted. And we all know those. that hair and fiber evidence at this point has now been called into question for validity purposes, right? Yes. So I so I looked into that because I wanted to get into this fiber evidence. So just briefly, um, I'm not going to read the whole list, but some of the items that were taken into evidence from his home or car that matched these 12 victims, his bedspread matched all 12, the carpet from his bedroom matched 10, the hairs of his German Shepherd matched 11, okay. a blanket from his bedroom <laughs> matched 6, the trunk liner from one of his cars matched one. The tr a carpet from another car matched another kid. And the carpet from a third car matched six. So I, okay, I'm not going to so, go into which fibers matched which victims. But but if it, if it was not legit, it would be like one or two. Like, I find it very hard to believe that, like, his fibers would be in, th like, that many fibers. so many. Right. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> So that was all from the FBI's law enforcement bulletin from 1984. Um, so that might not be the most up to date. They may have actually matched other ones after this, but. Right. And I think that really is applicable in situations where it is the sole evidence or where there's like one or two points and not a lot of other evidence mm -hmm. where it's been called into question. Am I right on that as far as the validity of right. hair and fiber? Right. And that's why I wanted to go, kind of go into that, because we've talked about on the show hair and fiber evidence kind of being a little iffy. Right. right. So I wanted to go into that right. because it is kind of overwhelming 
how much was found. So let's talk about the green carpet fibers in particular. So this is a whole thing. I read a whole thing about it and it's quite boring because I don't care about carpet, but basically it comes down to this. Carpet fibers can be identified by their chemical composition as well as their size and shape because the way that they're cut from the machines in the factory cuts them differently. So like when they change out the blades, they can determine that and like blah, blah, blah. And like the they use like yellow five and blue two or so, you know, like whatever. So two carpet fibers can be the same color and they may look the same, but they might actually be cut differently and they may use different combinations to actually get that same color, right? Okay. So the crime lab determined that the manufacturer of this particular green carpet found on the bodies was this like really, really, really small business in South Carolina. So they go to that business and they're like, this carpet... I need your distributors. They find the distributors and they actually find that this carpet was manufactured between 1967 and 1974. And they find the distributors during this time and they only found one in Georgia. And this carpet was used in a line of carpeting sold by the West Point Pepperell Corporation out of Dalton, Georgia, like I said, is a very big carpet and furniture area hub. Um, and this carpet was sold between 1970 and 1975, but that specific cut and color combination was only sold from December 1970 to, ni- to December 1971. Hmm. So this is how they narrowed it down. Okay. Wow. So it's very specific. Yes. And when Wayne Williams was stopped, police searched his home and they took fiber samples from his carpet, bedspread, blanket, cars. They also took hair samples from his German Shepherd, Sheba. And I wanted to say that name because we used to have a dog named Sheba. She wasn't German Shepherd, though. But So it's not just one hair from his head that they located or one hair from a child's head. It's multiple hairs from multiple Mm-mm. children's head. It's dog hairs. It's carpet fiber. It's mm-hmm. everything in combination. It's not just one thing. It really is convincing to read this. So they when they examined this green carpet that they pulled from William Williams' house... They found that the fibers match the cut and color composition of the carpet sold by West Point Pepperell, which matches the fibers found on these 12 or more bodies. Unfortunately, what they don't talk about and what I wish they kind of did was found where that carpet had been installed in his house or maybe found purchase receipts to make sure it was purchased in that time that it was actually being sold. You know, they didn't do that, but... But either way, it was very convincing. So the prosecution at the trial brings a brings up a co-worker as a witness of Wayne Williams. Her name is Sharon Blakely. And she was a very good friend. They talk about how she did not want to testify. But she did get up there and she testified about having conversations with Williams where he would complain about these young black kids being out in the street all the time. Kind of like what he did in his press conference. Right. And Blakely said to him at one point, you know, be careful around these kids. Some of them might hurt you. Because Wayne Williams, like, you look at him, and he's, like, 5'6". He's, he's got glasses. He's pudgy. Like, I've he doesn't, seen pictures of him. He looks a little on the little on the delicate side. He, he doesn't look tough. No. Like, he's not what you picture, right? No. So she's like, you know, some of these kids might hurt you. And, and Williams basically says, no, I know a way to hold these kids by their throats. And you press their necks, and then they'll be knocked out within seconds. Whoa. Mm-hmm. But Wayne Williams is so narcissistic 
that he thinks that she's still going to defend him. So he has his attorney ask if she thinks that Wayne Williams had killed anyone. What? And she says, yeah, I think he did. Oh, my God. Backfire. Like, yeah. So you're a lawyer. Isn't that like question number one? Don't ask the questions you don't want to know the answer oh to. Oh, my God. Seriously. <laughs> so so that's the prosecution's last witness. All right. So now it's the defense's turn. Do you think Wayne Williams wanted to testify? Yes, because he's so freaking narcissistic. Of course he did. Of course he did. So the FBI profilers basically said he's going to come across really well at the beginning, but then it's all going to go wrong. <laughs> okay, so that's basically how what happens. Is that, is that foreshadowing? Yeah, so <laughs> they basically said the longer you keep him on the stand, the more stressed out you make him. His personality is going to change. Interesting. So what they did is on cross, the prosecution just kept pressing and pressing. And when the prosecution asked him, you know, rapid fire questions about dumping kids off the bridge, you know, like, is it true that when you were murdering these kids and dumping them off, like just boom, 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 you know, he finally blows up and he yells, you want the real Wayne Williams? You got him. Oh, my God. That sounds like the oldest so, trick like, in the book, though, like, to be honest with it you. It does, but and it worked. <laughs> it worked I mean, well. isn't that why it's the oldest trick in the book? <laughs> right. So so he, he says this on the stand in front of the jury. And basically, by saying, you want the real me, he's also implying that up until that point... He's been lying. It wasn't the real him. Right. He's faking it. So... After 11 hours of deliberation, the jury convicted him of the murders of Jimmy Ray Payne and Nathaniel Cater. Okay. And he was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. And at this point, Atlanta PD considered the Atlanta child murders closed. Okay. But I have a feeling there's a but here. There's more. So even though the cases are considered closed, like they officially attributed 23 murders to him 23 additional murders right two or the only two that are solved are the murders of these two adult men okay mm -hmm. and so anybody that's listened to a true crime or watched anything on investigation discovery or dateline or anything like that knows that there's victim types right so you have adult men but you also have a lot of children a lot of very young children right which is a huge difference in victims. right and you also have different methods of murder right. you know strangulation asphyxiation stabbed one of them was shot um a couple of them also are undetermined so i think it's a little anyway so there's there's many of the parents of these children do not believe that wayne williams is responsible interesting Why? There, now there's certainly there's certainly family members who think he is responsible for some of them Right. Specifically, Terry Pugh's mother and Patrick Rogers' brother, because remember, he was the one who said that that's who he saw coming up the stairs for him. Hmm. Camille Bell, Yusuf Bell's mother, doesn't think that he's responsible for any of them. Interesting. So there are some really and good suspects. I just wonder if they know something that we don't know or if they just haven't seen all the evidence and they're just not looking at the total picture so, or like... It, it it's I think it's community distrust and the fact that there isn't actually anything that says Wayne Williams killed those two people or even those 
10 other kids. All that that fiber evidence really says is that they were around him. So they were either in his home, somebody in his home did it, or like it just says that he was around them. But it doesn't like there's. So why would he be no, around no, no. them? All these no, children. No, I, I mean I I know that. That's what I'm I'm with you. But that's yes. what they're saying. But there's that's no the, the like ha- okay. hard concrete biological evidence kind of a thing. That's what you think they think. Yeah, and they they think that the city wanted to kind of end it. They didn't want to look bad anymore because they were worried that that people were not going to move to the city, that people were not going to, you know, start businesses there. They were going to lose income. So they wanted to kind of shut the door on it. Interesting. So I think there are some other very good suspects that were overlooked. And I kind of want to get into that a little bit. So why would there be all that evidence? Well, with this Wayne guy. If he didn't do it's it. It's still officially, well, it's still officially only 12. So you're saying there's two, there's multiple killers. I'm saying, I think that, do I think Wayne Williams is responsible for all 29? No. Okay. So multiple killers. I think he's That's responsible for 12. Yeah. I'm not convinced these are all related. Okay. Okay. Got it. But I definitely, I definitely think Wayne Williams is guilty. Yeah. Of okay. those 12. But you think they prematurely closed it just to kind of end things when there was more out mm-hmm. there that should have been found for the rest of these murders. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it, at bare minimum they should have kept looking. Okay. Interesting. So let's get into some of these other suspects. So Charles Sanders, it, he was, I'm assuming he's dead. I don't actually know that to be sure. He was a KKK member. And an informant told the police that before Christmas 1980, Sanders says, I'm going to choke that black bastard to death, talking about Luby Jeter. Because apparently Luby Jeter had hit his car with a go-kart. And apparently Earl Terrell, or Terrell was also there. Mm. All right? Okay. And there's another informant that says Sanders confessed to killing Luby Jeter, saying, yeah, I killed the little bastard. We are killing in words. He says the, the word. I'm not, I'm not going to say it about 20 of them and we are going to start killing young black women next what and they actually did talk with him and they showed an interview with him in this last installment of the show and he obviously denies everything of course and one of the big criticisms in the fiber and hair analysis of the conviction for wayne williams is that the original reports talk about how the dog hair in the case was more similar to a siberian husky or alaskan Hmm. malamute and then once depending on who you kind of who you read about this you know once wayne williams was arrested and charged supposedly that's when the report was changed to a german shepherd because wayne williams had a german shepherd so that's kind of one of the controversies. So they talk about Charles Sanders and, and the informant that testifies at, at the appeal trial for Wayne Williams says okay. that he had a Siberian Husky. And so that kind of piques your interest, right? Because you're like, right. oh, was this something that they were covering up? Well, so it, when they go back and they talk to Charles Sanders in this interview, it's not a current interview. It was like from the 80s or 90s. Right. When they talk to him... He says that he did not have a husky. He had a German Shepherd. What? So 
does it make sense that it was changed? It was changed. Like, they have records that show, like, the original reports were talking about the hair matching in an Alaskan Malamute or a Siberian Husky. But it doesn't look like it was changed to be Wayne Williams. It looks like, and, and, and Siberian Husky, Alaskan Malamute, German Shepherd, they all have very similar fur. It's like that coarse fur, you know, it's not yeah, but like... there's some pretty significant color differences between There are color two. differences, yes. And I think that's the thing. Now, a Siberian Husky is going to be white and black. So depending on how old the German Shepherd is, you might get some white in that too. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the reason. I just... That was one of the things that kind of jumped out to me is like, oh, maybe this isn't as hinky. But in a phone call between Charles's brothers, Don and Terry which was actually collected from a GBI wiretap. Mm -hmm. Don said that he was going to go out and ride around a little bit, to which Terry replies, go find you another kid, another little kid. And apparently this recording was later destroyed by GBI officials. And it was destroyed after Wayne Williams was arrested, but before he went to trial. Wow. And that's, not good like bare men's it's not good like it it looks like you're covering something up and it was a very interesting uh interaction at the appeal between wayne williams appeals attorneys and this agent with the gbi and he basically says well yeah they were i destroyed them but i can tell you there was nothing about the murdered children in there and the attorney's like how would you know it was sure would be nice if we could all know that too but we right. can't because you destroyed it. So that just seems sh- really shady. It is really shady, and I think that that goes into a lot of the situation in the South at the time, which was there are a lot of there are and were a lot of people. I should say were there were a lot of people in law enforcement who were either in the Klan or Klan adjacent. They were friends with people that were in the Klan, and yeah. it has that good old boy you know, tinge to it that this is maybe an acquaintance, this is maybe an acquaintance of acquaintance, so let's just go ahead and get rid of this. It has that feel yeah. to it, and because it was destroyed, we don't we don't know, you know? We'll never know. Right, and so I want to kind of frame that by the fact that Charles Sanders is listed as a possible suspect on the Wikipedia page, but this information I'm getting is from another website from atkid.com dot weebly.com it's a blog and it is devoted to the missing and murdered children mm-hmm. and the website says that some of their sources come from these books and i went to look at these books and one of them is out of print so like i'm not going to go read that book for source material so like just know that that's where that information comes from but he was listed on wikipedia also as um a possible suspect and confirmed clan member And it's not unusual for law enforcement to have informants in the Klan. Okay. So I can't confirm it, but I'm not, you know, some of that stuff does check out just historically. There is also Tom Terrell. And he lived behind the Omni. And he was a known pedophile. He was 63 at the time of the disappearances. And... Apparently, by his own admission, he would pay many of the victims for sexual favors. It was known that a lot of these kids had been to his house. And this was also the last known location of Timothy Hill by his own admission. Why would he kill them, though, if he was getting some kind of pleasure from them paying them? 
I don't know, maybe maybe one of them said, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm a tell. Okay. I don't know. So there's also John David Wilcoxon, and he was also a known pedophile. So unfortunately, there were a lot of pedophiles in the area. And they preyed on these children, not specifically these children, but they did prey on children of lower income, single parent homes, you know, that the, the typical victim pool for that right right so he this this john david wilcoxon was involved in a child pornography ring and he was arrested with two other men lionel st louis and francis nathaniel hardy and when they were arrested hundreds of photographs of children were found and apparently this group paid children five dollars to perform a sex act and ten dollars to be photographed and he also lived near where many of the children played. Um, Specifically, Isaac Rogers says that when they would go play basketball or something, that they would cut through his, like, backyard because it was the easiest way to get home. Mm -hmm. So there's also the fact that in 1986, evidence was presented that there was actually an eyewitness to the murder of Clifford Jones. Okay. And... This witness says that James Edward Brooks attacked and killed Clifford Jones in a laundromat. And Brooks was a known sex offender and pedophile. And the witness statements are so detailed and graphic that, I mean, it sounds like he was in the laundromat and was was there. So, like, it talks about how, like, he attacked him, he, he raped him, and then when the kids started yelling, that's when... Brooks put a a rope around his neck and strangled him. So like he was clearly this this witness watched this for some amount of time. Oh but God. the statements were eventually ruled out because the witness was found to have a learning disability. Oh. Um, and so you do have some investigators that believe this, and then you have other people that just were like, no, he doesn't he he doesn't know. But apparently he did have a lot of correct information in terms of the clothing that Clifford Jones is wearing. Right. And investigation into Brooks was shut down after Williams was convicted. And this is interesting because Clifford Jones is linked to the other killings by this green carpet fiber. Hmm. So this, he, a, a carpet fiber was found on his body, but then you have this conflicting witness statement and it doesn't fit into the narrative of Wayne Williams. So, hmm. Did he? So I don't know, you know. And they talk about how the 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 murder stopped after Wayne Williams went to jail, but this is also the time that the Sanders brothers were brought in for questioning, and they were told, "We're looking at you for the Atlanta child killing, some of the Atlanta child killings." Yeah. This is also the time that Tom Terrell and the Wilcoxon guy, the two pedophiles, they were also arrested at this time. Wow. So they were all kind of brought in around the same time. Wow. And that's when the killing stopped. So it's kind of like they just threw everything against the wall and hope something sticks, but they don't really care which one, you know, as long as they have That's what it sounds like. It does sound like that. And now, I still do think that Wayne Williams is responsible for some of these murders. I just kind of came away from... Multiple people going on. Yeah. And I came away from this last episode specifically feeling like the Sanders brothers were involved in some way. And... And that was kind of the biggest thing. And then they also talk about how it was convenient for them to pin it on Wayne Williams because if they come out and say this was clan related, 
then you're going to have riots in the city. And they, this was the time when Atlanta was really growing as a city. They were bringing in a lot of new businesses. They just opened up their airport. And this was basically, they say it was like a PR move. They don't want this kind they, of negative publicity. Exactly. They're still trying to get people to move to the city. They're still trying to get people to, to spend money. And if they have this kind of clan activity where black children are being murdered by the clan and then they have race riots yeah then you're gonna lose a lot of that opportunity and so they talk about this as a way that well if it's convenient if they just pin it on all on wayne williams on march 21st of last year atlanta mayor keisha lance bottoms and Atlanta PD Chief Erica Shields announced that they are going to reopen the missing and murdered cases, including the ones attributed to Wayne Williams. Interesting. Yeah. So this is going to involve retesting of evidence and examination of evidence looking for any possible DNA. And I don't think that's a bad idea at all. No. I mean, that sounds like they should have done that a long time ago. Yep. And there actually has been some DNA testing in 2007. Attorneys for the state of Georgia agreed to allow DNA testing of the dog hair mm-hmm. that was used to help convict him. And the hairs on the bodies contained the same mitochondrial DNA sequence as Williams's dog. But that's not as convincing as it sounds because apparently this can occur in about one out of every right, one. Are they dogs. are they trying to get this guy out of jail or are they just saying we need to reopen this to get the other killers? I think they're trying to, I don't think anybody's trying to get him out of jail. I th- no one's trying to exonerate this dude. I, I mean, he has attorneys that are, but I don't think there's anybody investigating the case that okay. thinks he's innocent. But I think what they're trying to do is kind of shore up this evidence to kind of shut down the conversation about whether or okay. not he's innocent. So... Like I said, that you know, this that DNA sequence can be found in about one out of every one hundred dogs. But when you add that to the green right. carpet fiber evidence, and you know, I didn't even get into the other evidence about the the blanket or the car fibers or anything like that. All of those combined, the odds of that happening in somebody other than Wayne Williams's house or car, right. I think, are very very slim. Right. In two thousand seven. The FBI performed DNA tests on two of the human hairs found on one of the victims. The victim, the the mitochondrial DNA that was found in the hairs actually does match Williams' mitochondrial DNA. Okay. So that doesn't conclusively prove it's him. It just means that it they can't eliminate him out of like two percent of the African American population. Okay. Yeah. But what I really found interesting was the fact that very few of the people that actually spoke in this last episode seem to think that Wayne Williams is completely innocent. And I really found that interesting because the previous four episodes were talking about the family members who think he's not involved at all, that he was railroaded by law enforcement. Right. And then this last episode was kind of like, well, we also think there's other people involved, but nobody said... He, that Wayne Williams was not involved at all. And wow. I think that was really interesting. Right. Yeah, so he he has gone through multiple appeals. One of the appeal trial hearings was a Brady hearing because they found out, it was actually, I think, left in an envelope on one of his attorney's doorsteps, yeah. all the information about the uh, investigation into the uh, Sanders brothers and the informant and all of that and the GBI tape. Right. 
that actually was left on the attorney's doorstep after he was originally convicted. So they had a Brady hearing and the judge found that it wasn't sufficient to violate hmm. Brady. I don't. Interesting. And that's one of those things where you're like, yeah, like the judge It's one of those things where you're like, OK, well, I mean, the judge says that and that's it. But like that, I'm not sure how, how you got to that interpretation, but you're the judge, you know yeah. what I mean? So there's obviously stuff that he's looking at that they're looking at that we are not necessarily privy to. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just sounds like there's some super shady dealing going on. Right. Um, and then they also talk about like we had discussed the 2014 report that fiber evidence from tested from the FBI lab was tested improperly or collected improperly. And also people were testifying outside of their level of expertise. Yes. And apparently that some of that evidence that was tested was evidence for the Wayne Williams trial. Some of that fiber evidence. Yeah. So that's really interesting too, because the article I read and and the, the, the person that they talk about um, doing the majority of the fiber testing for this case was a GBI agent, Georgia Bureau of investigation, not FBI. Wow. Now, maybe he was trained by the FBI. So I don't, you know, I don't know. But I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure that that was a good tie in. Because they didn't really explain how, how it was tied in other than his attorney got a letter from the Department of Justice saying that some of the evidence was involved in right. this whole scandal. So that's kind of where it stands right now. He obviously still maintains his innocence. Right. There was a podcast. What was the name of that? Atlanta Monster was the name of that podcast. They did a whole season on this, and they actually spoke to Wayne Williams from prison. And mm. on the phone call, he wanted the host of the podcast to reach out to this musician that he was um, trying to promote from jail. Anyway. So, anyway. So that's who Wayne Williams is. Right. So... Like I said, I... Still looking for attention. Oh, yeah. yeah. I do think he's guilty of many of the murders. I'm not convinced he was the only right. uh, killer. And I think that they probably did shut down the investigation a little too early. I think it... Right. I, don't, I would not at all be surprised if, like, the two girls... I wouldn't be surprised if those were not related. Mm-hmm. Kind of a thing. You know, just from some Copycat of the patterns. or, like, right. they took advantage of it. So somebody's out there that is guilty as AF and Mm -hmm. is getting away with murder, essentially. Right. And it could be very well that that these child pornography rings, these pedophile rings, are Mm -hmm. responsible for some of the murders as well. We know some of the kids actually were victims of these predators, sexual predators. I don't know why people find that so hard to believe that there are rings of people out there that are doing that kind of thing. I just, I've heard several podcasts about it already, and it just seems like people are so resistant to the concept that people are pedophiles and they're running these rings that are taking advantage of young children. I think this has been going on for years and people are very resistant to that. I think it's denial out of like being unable to comprehend how someone could do it. That's kind of how I feel about it. It's like, how could this possibly happen? Where you have a ring, a group of people that are sexually deviant and 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 violent. That how do they find each other? How do they? You know, like it's. I think it's one of those things of being able but to comprehend, being unable to <laughs> comprehend. I no, I know, but 
I it's so hard to grasp yeah. that because that's what they think happened in the Oakland County child killer case too. They think it was there's evidence that there was a pedophile ring in the area, but you know it's just it's like there was the one in Michigan where they had that island with the wealthy gentleman. That's the yeah, Oakland County. I mean, come on, that's the Oakland County child like, killer. They've mm-hmm. shown it yeah. can happen. They've shown it exists. There are. Mm-hmm. There was, I think, one called Project Orchid or something like that, where they uncovered this huge online pedophile ring. It was like a club of people that had to pay. Mm -hmm. And we'll probably end up doing um, a show about that one. I think it was Glass Cathedral. It was another name for it or something like that, where they had Mm -hmm. this ring of child pornography where these men and women Mm -hmm. all over the world were submitting videos of children that had been abused and some murdered. So... It happens. It's yeah. possible. I, think, I don't see why we're still in disbelief that this kind of thing is going on. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I think it's a little bit harder to comprehend before the internet how these groups of people found each other, but we know I'm that sure they did. They were creative, so they could do it. <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's just one of those things that's really hard to kind of accept. It's just it's a difficult. It's a terrible thing to 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 accept i guess but yeah but i do i do think wayne williams was guilty of many of the murders but like i said it it would not at all surprise me if they found other people that were responsible one of the biggest things that i didn't really get into is there was a lot of concern in the community that the clan was involved and like i said there was this charles stevens guy and you know the profilers kind of dismissed this because they felt that a white person couldn't go into these communities and kidnap a black child without being noticed and they felt that the person who was doing this was somebody who could get in and get out unnoticed but at the same time this was a time when that wouldn't be an unreasonable thing that clan members would kill white um you know black children i I, do i think that they were responsible for all of them no would i be surprised if a couple of them ended up being you know white supremacy related murders also no right and I was going to say that, like, you have cities like Los Angeles and places that are a little bit larger where they have full found, and Louisiana, um, where they found multiple serial killings going on at the same time. It is not mm-hmm. unbelievable or impossible that the same thing could have been happening in Georgia at that time because it was a perfect place. Mm-hmm. Obviously, just seeing that this happened and that this person got away with it shows that this is exactly. an ideal place and an ideal time for someone to get away with this. Exactly. And the other interesting thing about this is this was actually the first time that the word serial killer or the term serial killer was used. So that's another interesting another interesting fact about this is that he was Wayne Williams is considered the first serial killer when that vernacular was introduced by the FBI. So interesting, right? Mm hmm. Yep. I think with what I read about, you know, all the like all of the, the victims that had so many different types of fiber evidence found on them linked to Wayne Williams I think to me I'm still pretty convinced by that what do you think after hearing now finally hearing the full picture of it um I still um I just think there's too many like factors that point in Wayne Williams direction to write him off I think Mm -hmm. that there's more than one person at play here but I just think there's too much evidence compiled that implicate him to to write him off right that's how I think too I think he definitely was involved in some of them but I also think that I, I'm actually a little bit more convinced that there's other people that were involved in some of the other ones. And I think the biggest thing is 
the city of Atlanta kind of coming to terms with how this was allowed to happen, that 29 black young men and, and two women, two young girls were murdered and for so long, nothing was done about it. What was the environment that created the circumstances right. that this happened? And, you know, at the time, this was the late or the, the early 80s, you know, you had a lot of blame on, you know, of course, the racial stuff, you know, there's, there's single family households while their kids are running around, there's this, that and the other. And well, you've got more marginalized victims. And, and I think exactly. that is why killing and serial killing in particular was so prolific in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s and throughout the 90s. There were so many marginalized victims, people of color, children of color, mm-hmm. women in sex work. They basically the police viewed as less than human and that gave them an excuse to just not give a crap about finding who made these people disappear. I find it interesting as well because it's hard for me I think about would any of this been able to have happened today? Would this sort of a thing been able to happen today? And what do you think? Do you think absolutely not or do you think yes? I don't think you would see the numbers. I don't think you'd see 29 kids. You wouldn't no. see you know, 93 with Sam Little, 49 with Gary Ridgway, you know, so, but anyway, but yeah, so it's, it's a very, very good show. I would recommend it. And I think I kind of came into it thinking that Wayne Williams was the sole killer. And I'm a very opinionated person. I don't know if you've picked up on that. No, so for no. for it to, <laughs> right. So for it to have changed my mind, I think is very, very strong evidence to how well the show is done and the 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 evidence that Atlanta is still trying to deal with it you know it's I don't know that they'll find new evidence necessarily to bring any new convictions I believe the Sanders brothers are dead it, they didn't say but that's just kind of what I would guess but I think that the biggest thing is to bring closure to the families because they need answers because he, Wayne Williams was only convicted of two murders and they were two adults. Yeah. What's interesting is I thought I would come into this and be convinced that he didn't do it and that somebody else did it. And I was sure that I would be like, oh, okay, well, Wayne Williams is innocent. They convicted the wrong man. But I came, in, came into it with an open mind and then was like, oh, crap. No, he, he did this. But there's some there's Oh, other see, that's interesting. Involved, right. So we came into it from different perspectives, but ended up in the same place. Exactly, which is this That's testimony to the the nature of the show and how good it was. Yeah, it was it was very very good. I definitely recommend checking it out. And obviously, like I said, the, the case is open. If they do bring any fo- bring forward any new information, we will certainly update that um, in the feed. Right. Absolutely. Very, very interesting case. Well, this is where we're going to stay so long. Farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, suggestions, you know, whatever you want, if you want to yell at us, <laughs> go ahead and send us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. Social media, Darcy. We are at the BFD podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So we'll post some of the graphics and articles and things like that from this case because there's a lot of information available. Yeah, so we'll try to get some of that to you guys just to share that with you. It's interesting to kind of take a look at Mr. Williams as well. Yeah. Get an eyeball on that He's guy. certainly not what you would uh, expect at all. No, 
And there are a ton of other shows and podcasts out there. I believe the Mindhunter series covered oh, so briefly good. a little bit of him. So, so if you good. want to go check that out, yeah. um, you can kind of get a feel for some of that as well. Mm-hmm. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.